take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we'll be picking up there where we've been studying over the past several months on Sunday evenings. I'll, uh, I'll confess, I've, uh, I was a little distracted through the end of the, uh, of the rest of the service there. I've been really trying to figure out how I close my head and bow my eyes. I'm re- I've just been struggling. I don't know how exactly to, to do that. Um, being, being up here is, <laughs> you, sometimes you never know quite what's going to come out. So I've, uh, I've been there, and I'm sure that if something does come out, uh, Todd will take his opportunity to point it out uh, as the service goes on. Colossians chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 18, is where we're going to be uh, this evening. Uh, as as we begin, of course, tonight the the passage we're studying is on marriage, and I think that we could honestly say that we live in a time in which the foundations of marriage are under attack. I don't think any of us would really deny that, in which marriage is essentially being redefined. Al Mohler said this in a recent article. He wrote, "In in less than a single generation." Homosexuality has gone from something almost universally understood to be sinful to something now declared to be the moral equivalent of heterosexuality and deserving of both legal protection and public encouragement. And so I, I think everyone in here would agree with me in saying that, that marriage is under attack. It's being redefined in our culture today as something that we are seeing being undermined. But I don't think that we're seeing marriage simply being uh, undermined in its foundations. But I think that we're also seeing marriage undermined and being redefined in its function. And how marriage is supposed to look and how it's supposed to be carried out uh, even between a a man and a woman. So I want you to think for just a moment about how marriage is portrayed in pop culture. Think how how does the pop culture world look at marriage? Well, if you think of, of shows you might run across on TV, uh, the husband is usually a doofus. Uh, he is an absolutely incompetent fool who can do nothing right. If it comes to doing something with the kids, he just, don't let him do it, he's going to blow it. Uh, he can barely tie his shoes and, and, and chew gum and walk. Uh, he can't do anything uh, very well at all. Uh, his wife is constantly frustrated with him. Uh, And if uh, she is just barking out orders, trying to get him to stay in line and do what he is supposed to be doing, and the husband's main goal is just to stay out of trouble. If I can just stay out of the doghouse and stay off the couch, marriage is good, life is good, and I just, I don't want to cause any trouble or make any waves. You know, that's that's kind of the picture uh, that we get uh, about marriage in pop culture. Hopefully it's not the picture of your marriage. Uh, Otherwise, you know, Paul has some things to say about that. So what is marriage supposed to look like? What's it actually supposed to to be, according to Scripture? Well, Paul tells us here in in a couple verses in Colossians just a brief picture of what marriage is supposed to be, what God has designed it to look like, according to his purposes. So... As you remember from Colossians, we're dealing with a church that was doing well. This is a group of young believers. Uh, they have heard the gospel. They've trusted in Christ. And for the most part, they are doing well. And the first couple chapters, Paul has been dealing with doctrine with them, 
how, to, how they can understand who Christ is and the supremacy of Christ. If we want to make a, a summary statement, what is Colossians about? It's about the supremacy of Christ in all things. And so these first two chapters, he's been focusing on that. And now in chapter 3, he's been dealing with how do we live that out? How do we live out the reality that Christ is supreme over everything? And so in chapter 3, he's told us these different things that, that we live out in light of the truth of how great uh, and supreme Christ is. 3.1, he says that if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Due to Christ's supremacy, seek the things above. Due to Christ's supremacy in verse 2, you set your mind on the things above. Because Christ is supreme in verse 5, you consider the members of your body dead uh, to sin. Verse 10, due to the supremacy of Christ, you live out your faith by putting to death sinful, uh, sinful desires, by putting on godliness in verse 10 and verse 12. Verse 15, you live out the supremacy of Christ by letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Verse 16, you live out the supremacy of Christ by dwelling on the word. Verse 17, you live out the supremacy of Christ by doing everything in the name of Christ. And so now Paul comes to marriage. You want to show the supremacy of Christ in your life? You want to live that out? Then live it out in your marriage. Show that he's supreme in your marriage. Now I want us to stop. Uh, for just a minute before we go on any further. Uh, because some of you are maybe sitting there thinking, what in the world does this have to do with me? I'm not married. You know, so we've got people in here who, you know, ranging from kids up to adults who aren't married. So how, do we, how are we supposed to take this? Does this matter uh, to the whole body? Well, here's what I'll say to that. Yes. Yes, this does matter. Because if you're not married right now, then perhaps there's coming a day when you're going to be married. Students, more than likely, there is coming a point in your life when you're going to be married. So you need to hear this and understand now, what is God's design? What is God's purpose for marriage? Because more than likely, that's going to be in your future down the road, uh, sooner or later, whenever that might come in God's providence. But even if you never get married, we all need to hear this because what marriage is is supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. It's supposed to be a picture of God's love for his bride, the body. And so for us to understand that love a little bit better, it helps us to understand a little bit about marriage. Now on the flip side of that, there's some of you who have been married for a long time maybe a long, long time. Now, I've been married for uh, about six years now, but some of you have been maybe married for maybe about 60 years. And so you've been there. You've done that. You've experienced marriage for a long time. And so maybe your thought is, I've got it down. I've got it figured out. We've made it 60 years, and she has survived, and I have survived, and we're good. So what does this mean to you? Well, here, here's what I say. We're dealing with, with marriage here, and we're dealing with, with it in the context of the supremacy of Christ. So we're not just interested in marriages that get by and survive. We're interested in marriages that portray and show off the glory of God. Marriages that point to Christ being supreme in all things. And, and I don't know about you, but my marriage 
isn't perfect. And I would guess that even if you've been married 40, 50, 60 years, your marriage doesn't perfectly portray Christ. And so as Pastor Bill was saying earlier this morning, part of the job of pastors is just to to remind us. And so even if we've been married for years, decades, sometimes we need just reminding, what is God's purpose for marriage? What does God want to see happen in the marriage relationship? So let's, let's examine what, what Paul says here about where marriage is supposed to be. Hear the word of the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. Two verses. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Two verses that Paul gives us here. We're going to examine just these two verses and see what Scripture says about marriage. Now, Paul, honestly, uh, is not politically correct uh, according to our day and age. And so we need to just listen. What does Paul say and what does he mean here? First, what is expected of wives? If we're going to consider the supremacy of Christ in marriage, what does God expect of wives? Deal with it in order here. Paul's one instruction for wives is for them to be subject to, or in other words, other translations, to submit to their husbands. When it comes to what the Bible says about marriage, this is a contentious issue. This is not politically correct in our day to say this. Maybe 50, 100 years ago, uh, this would, would just be accepted as true. But today, it is something that is looked on as something that's antiquated. It, it should not be a part of our modern culture to say that wives are to submit to their husbands. That's oppressive. It's part of a patriarchal society from hundreds or thousands of years ago. And now as modern folks, we need to throw that off. We don't need that anymore because we have progressed in our culture. And so if our culture doesn't agree with that, we just need to throw that off. So how do we deal with this? Basically, there are two options that we get to first way that that people deal with this is just say that this is cultural. This was just part of Paul's culture, and so he was just kind of acquiescing to the culture, and so since it was part of his culture, we can just kind of throw it off today. The second way we can deal with it is to say that no, this isn't just cultural, but this is part of God's divine plan for marriage, no matter what the culture or matter what the time period is. So which is it? Does God say that this is cultural or is this something that God has planned and designed for marriage? Well, let's think about this for just a second. If Paul is just dealing with things that here that are cultural and that only need to be obeyed if it's part of the culture, well, think about what that means then. If 318 is cultural, it only needs to be obeyed if it's part of the culture, then that means that probably 319 just needs to be obeyed if it's cultural. So you only, wives only submit if that's just part of the culture that you live in. Husbands only love your wives if that's part of the culture that you live in. I'm, I'm not quite sure that makes sense. All right, what about other passages in the Bible? Flip back just a few pages to Ephesians chapter 5. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. We'll start there. Read a few verses. It says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, to your own husbands, not to every man, but to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. All right, here's a question for you. How long should the, uh, should the church be subject or submit to Christ? Always, forever. The church should submit to its head, Christ. So if we take that same line of thinking, so how often or how long should wives submit to their husbands? Only in Paul's time or continuing on? Should, should be continuing on according to that. One last passage. Turn back all the way to the beginning. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. This is uh, the creation narrative. God has created Adam, and now he's creating Eve. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. What is Eve described as there? As a helper. Someone who is to come alongside Adam and to be an encouragement, a support, and a helper to him. The perfect complement to him. Now, did this occur before or after the fall? Before. So this was part of God's divine, perfect plan even before things went south, right? And so we see here that God's perfect plan, even from the beginning, is for the wife to serve as a helper, for wives to, uh, to submit to the leadership of their husbands. Okay, so, so all this put together, we say, yes, submission is part uh, of God's plan for every Christian wife, uh, regardless of culture, regardless of time, but, but that still, that still doesn't make this easy. It still doesn't make it an easy doctrine. It still makes it something that's that difficult for us to understand and can lead to a, a lot of confusion. So what does Paul mean? What does Paul mean when he says, wives be subject to your husband, or other translations, wives submit uh, to your husbands? What does that mean? Well, the word literally is just taken from uh, a compound word in the Greek that means to, to rank under. Uh, it means to, uh, to be under the leadership of someone else. Now, would we ever say that it's wrong to have someone in leadership over us? No, of course not. Leadership is a good thing. Leadership is a, is a great thing uh, that we have to have in order for things to function correctly. Think about all the different times in Scripture where the Bible talks about submitting to the leadership that you have. Children are to, to submit to their parents. That's a good thing. That is a very, very, very good thing for children to do. The church body, Hebrews uh, chapter 13, verse 17, says that the, the body is to submit to the leaders of the church. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a good thing, part of God's good purpose. Citizens are to submit to the government, Romans chapter 13. Servants are to submit to their masters, 1 Peter 2.18. Believers are to submit to even to one another, Ephesians chapter 5.21. So this is, this is a good thing. It's not 
a bad thing. Scripture never views it as something that, that is evil or as wrong. It's simply God's plan, his order of creation. It's part of God's display of his wisdom for how things work. So what I want to do is just, just to briefly, just to very briefly help paint maybe a quick picture to help us understand what, what is this? What does this look like? Now there's so much confusion in regards to this. I want you to see what submission is not. What it is not. First of all, submission doesn't mean having less value or being inferior. The husband and wife are both created in the image of who? God. Both are created in the image of God, so both have equal value in the eyes of God. Neither is inferior uh, to the other. Now, let me ask you this question. Who has greater value? Or is, let me rephrase that. Is God the Son, is he inferior, have less value than God the Father? No, of course not. But remember that passage uh, in which uh, Jesus is praying in the garden just before he's getting ready to go to be crucified. He he prays, uh, Father, may this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. He is submitting to the Father's will for him right there. Now, would we ever say that the Son is inferior? Of course not. We would never say that. He is simply submitting to the will of the Father. And it's the same. A man is not more valuable than a woman, and a woman is not more valuable than a man. They are created with equal value in the eyes of the Lord. So submission does not mean having less value. It does not mean losing your identity. The wife is still the unique person who God created her to be with all her gifts, her abilities, her, uh, her character, the uniqueness that God has given to her that is designed to be the perfect complement to her husband. It doesn't mean following your husband into sin. That is not the picture of uh, submission. It doesn't mean always being passive or always uh, being silent. I consider my wife to be, this, to be a model of what a, a biblical woman should be and submission. But she is in no means a robot. If, uh, if she disagrees with me, she'll tell me in, in a loving and gentle way. Or if I've done something that is just stupid and I have blown it in some way, she will lovingly and gently come to me and tell me that I have blown it uh, in whatever way that that is. And that's part of her being a good wife to me. But she still remains that, to me, in my eyes, a model of what a submissive wife should look like. So if it doesn't mean those things, how could we just sum it up? Here, here's what I would say. And, and I'm, just, I'm quoting this from a book called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. It's just a simple statement. Submission refers to a wife's divine calling to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through uh, according to her gifts. It's an attitude that's encouraging and supportive of her, her husband's godly leadership. It's not argumentative or embittered, but it, it's characterized by a gentle, humble spirit. Uh, it, as Paul writes in Ephesians 5.33, it's an attitude uh, of respect. So before we turn to men, I just want to ask wives just to think of this ask yourselves this question when it comes to your relationship to your husband 
Are you characterized by an attitude of submission in such a way that your husband would say that how you relate to him, speak to him, your tone of voice, and respond to him makes it easy and a joy for him to lead in your home? Ask, your, ask yourself that question. This, this is the kind of submission that, that Paul says here is fitting in the Lord, is proper in the eyes of the Lord. So wives, be subject to your husbands. That's the command that's given to wives. Second is given to husbands. And so this is where I want to turn now, and uh, honestly, uh, a little glad to turn uh, to this area now, because for me, it is much easier to understand and speak to, uh, speak to men about the responsibilities of a man and what it means uh, to be a man. So men, I want to speak to you about what Scripture says about being a man, about being a husband. Colossians 3.19 Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Now honestly, when I read this, this isn't what I would normally expect to come next. You get this statement about uh, wives submit to your husbands, so automatically uh, you would expect that the next statement is going to be something about, husbands, how do you do that? How do you get your wives to submit? Or how do you have authority in the home? But that's not what Paul moves toward. Paul moves in a totally different direction. Paul says, uh, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, your duty is to love your wives. Now, this is a special word that's used here when it says to love, to love your wives. It doesn't just refer to uh, uh, attraction or desire, although that should be there, husband. Uh, it's not referring to just a, a feeling of love or affection, although husbands, that should be there. What it refers to is this. It involves an active and unceasing care for your wife's well-being active, unceasing care for your wife's well-being. The best example of this is what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5. Flip back there. Ephesians chapter 5. And I, I want you just to listen to this. Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. Listen to listen, husbands, how you're to love your wives. Husbands, love your wives just as or in the same way Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she would be holy and blameless so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies he who loves his own wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband." Men, I want you to think for a minute. I want you to think about how Christ loved the church. I want you to think about what he did. Christ dwelled in, the, the Son dwelled in perfect joy with the Father and the Spirit in heaven. Perfect unity. The Son took on flesh 
and came to dwell in a world and experience all the, the pain and all the suffering that comes from being a human. He was hated. He was abandoned by his friends. He was beaten. He was crucified. Why? Paul says so that he might sanctify the church, his bride. His, his love wasn't focused on himself, but his love was an outward love. It was a love that was focused outward on doing for his bride, the church. And then Paul says here, Husbands, this is the way that you are to love your wives. With no concern for yourselves, for your well-being, it is an unceasing active caring for the well-being of your wife, not for yourself. This, to me, gets to the heart of what it means to be a man. I've heard being a man summarized in, in three different words. Uh, lead, protect, provide. Leading is others-focused. It's not focused on yourself. Protecting is others-focused. It's not for yourself. Providing is others-focused. It's not for yourself. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. That kind of love is a love that's focused on her and not on yourself. On meeting her needs and not on your own needs. Alright, this, this is where I want every guy in here that I want to hear. Every guy, I want you to hear this. I really believe that, that our culture has attacked manhood and what it means to be a man. That the picture that we get from our culture today about what it is to be a man is to delay responsibility as long as possible. To play as much as you can. <clears throat> so when it comes to school, don't be serious. Play around as much as you can. Uh, when it comes to uh, relationships, play the field. Don't settle down. Uh, just have a good time. Don't get tied down. When it comes to, to marriage, after you've delayed it as long as possible and she's finally convinced you that you have to marry her, go ahead and get married. But when you do, avoid as much responsibility as possible. Do your best to get your wife to do as much work as, as she will so that you, have to, that you can do as little as possible. I really think that this is the picture of manhood that we're getting from our culture. Guys, this isn't the picture of what it means to be a man. This isn't the picture of manhood in Scripture. The picture of a godly husband is the man who loves his wife as Christ loves the church, who cherishes her, as Paul says in Ephesians 5.29. It's the husband who works for her sanctification leading her for her spiritual good, for her growth, to encourage her and to pray for her and, and to do everything he can to lead her to grow in Christ and to grow in her fellowship with the Lord. It's the husband who will protect her at every cost to himself. It's the husband who will provide for her to the best of his ability. It's the husband who, who will say, if, if it comes to there having to be sacrifice, I'd much rather it be me sacrificing than her having to. This is the kind of picture of, of biblical manhood, biblical husband, 
that we get when we hear this statement, love Christ, love your wife as Christ loved the church. It's this kind of love that takes no thought for yourself, but is actively, unceasingly loving your wife for her good in Christ. And so, husbands, I, I ask, are you, are you loving your wife in this kind of way? Just quickly take a, take a glance over your life. Are you loving your wife in this kind of way? The other command that Paul gives to husbands here, uh, he says, don't, um, don't be embittered uh, to, uh, toward your wives. <clears throat> this could uh, be translated another way as don't be harsh uh, toward your wives. So as you love her and as you lead her, don't be hard. Don't be harsh toward her. Speak in a way that, that is gentle and that is loving. Guard your tongue when you speak to her. Treat her in a way that is worthy of her and not being harsh and bitter toward her. And so... Husbands, look at how you've interacted with your wife this week. Just take this week and ask yourself, have I been harsh? Have I been harsh in any way that I've interacted with her? My tone of voice, the way I've spoken to her, the way I've dealt with her. Have I been hard or harsh? Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Now, there's one last thing I want you to notice from this text. One last thing. Paul doesn't put any qualifications here. He doesn't say, wives, submit to your husbands if he's a really good husband. He doesn't say, husbands, uh, love your wives if she's been really good to you that week. There's no qualifications that are put in here. He just says simply, wives, submit to your husbands. Love, uh, husbands, love your wives. And then as Ephesians 5 says, as Christ uh, loved the, the church. But, but you may be saying, you, you, really, you really don't know how much of a jerk my husband can be. That makes it really, really hard to submit to him. Or you, husband, you may be saying, I, you don't know how disrespectful that she can be toward me at times. It, it just, that just makes it so hard to not be harsh or to, to love her the way uh, Paul said here. But Paul doesn't give any qualifications. Wives submit, husbands love your, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Here, here's why I think that is. Wives don't submit to their husbands because of who their husband is. Wives are to submit to their husbands because of who their God is. Husbands don't love their wives because of just because of who their wife is. Husbands love their wives because of who their God is. Because they want to, to show and proclaim in their marriage that Christ reigns supreme. And so I will love my wife as Christ loved the church, so that I can point toward the reality that Christ is supreme over everything. See, I'm not going to love my wife because she is so good, even though I think that she is. I'm going to seek to love my wife 
as Christ loved the church because I want to proclaim to the world that Christ is supreme over everything and that my God reigns. And so I want my marriage to be a picture of Christ and the church. And so I want my wife to submit to my leadership so that she will say, look at Christ. The church submits to him. And so our marriage is going to be a little picture of that. And I want people, when they see me, to say, look at Christ. Because he loves his wife as Christ loved the church. And so I want my marriage to show Christ is supreme over everything. And so that's why we have these commands that are given here. So that your marriage will show and proclaim Christ is supreme over everything. It's not that your husband is so great or your wife is so great. It's because your God is great. That is the root of how you can submit wives. That is the root, men, of how you can lead your wives and love her because of who your God is. No matter what may be taking place in your marriage. But the reality is that it's not easy. Some of you have 50, 60 years of knowing that's not easy. It takes work. And even more than that, it takes the grace of God. It takes the grace of God for a marriage to show the supremacy of Christ. It takes the grace of God for a husband to lead his wife that way, to love his wife that way. It takes the grace of God for a wife to submit to her husband when he may not in himself deserve it. So tonight, I want, us just, I want us to close out by singing in Christ alone. I'm going to ask Matt and the other musicians to come up. This isn't an, an invitation song or you know, anything like that. It's, this is a song for us to respond. Because in order for our marriages to, to proclaim the supremacy of Christ, we have to be trusting in Christ alone. And so as you sing this, I want you just to sing this in worship to God and entrust that in him alone to work this way in your marriage, to show his supremacy, to show his greatness, his glory through your marriage. So let's stand as we sing this evening.